Evening. Tonight we are able to have our Southern Branch podcast episode number three. We have a special guest with us this evening. Uh, many of you may know him as the Bagpipe Whisperer. Um, many of you may know him as a great piper in our Southern Branch who helps anybody and everybody. I'd like to introduce our special guest tonight as Vince A.U. Hey Vince, how are you doing tonight? Good evening. Glad to be here. Thank you. So I know you, but I'm not sure many of our other branch members do. Can you go into a little bit of where you came into the fold for piping and drumming and, and what sparked your interest? Well, as a youngster growing up in El Paso, Texas, there's a, there was a neighboring high school, Bel Air Highlanders are still there. They have a pipe band. And in the early 60s, I looked forward to going to uh, parades. I mean, even as a young adult, just love going to the parades to see them piping down the street. It's just very moving sound. And uh, uh, Savannah, my wife, she's of Scottish descent, and uh, she knew we wanted to go to Scotland sometime. And now we've been there three times. So the first year we went, uh, I was not piping yet. That was uh, 2005. We went to the Cal Gathering in Danoon, as well as the Edinburgh. We went there for the Pipe Fest. Uh, and uh, that year, they broke the world's record for the most pipers playing uh, Amazing Grace, over 10,400 some odd pipers piping. I've got a video of it. It's just moving. It's just the synchronization of all the bands. You could just imagine mass bands with that many pipers and uh, what have you, just, just moved the spirit. And when we got back to town, uh, some friends of ours had come aware of that my love for bagpiping and all the music that I kept listening to. So and Savannah comments says, oh, he'd love to learn how to play. And so I was told about the Knoxville Pipes and Drums there in Knoxville. And I went down to the Masonic Lodge and I introduced myself and they welcomed me into the into the band, taught me. I had to learn how to read music. I'd never had, uh, played an instrument before that, not even an air guitar, nothing. I was 53 years old and they they uh, were a great teaching band. They just uh, just awesome people. Uh, never gave up on me and uh that first year I, I started going to summer camp there at sandy jones's camp and meeting uh folks there and i'm kind of wired mechanically i like to know how things work i don't care what it is i, I want to know how it's made how it works so i dedicated a lot of time um to not only learning music and how to play the instrument but also how it worked why 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 uh the reeds behave the way they did uh, why did uh, drones have to be tuned the way they were tuned? And so I just wore out those guys in those clinics. You know, if you've been to this camp, you notice that very few people ever ask any questions of these masters that have experienced a lot of things, experienced things working, things not working. Uh, they came of age playing nothing but cane reeds and just were ecstatic when synthetic, reliable reeds came along and uh, synthetic bags and stuff. So, and I wanted to know, well, why? What's the difference between sheepskin and, and hybrid bags or synthetic bags or cow hide bags? And I've, I've had conversations with uh, James Begg about that. And uh, I even have called uh, the T-Zip people in New Zealand and asked them uh, how their zippers were made and why I was seeing a couple of failures and why was I seeing them and how to fix that to keep them from leaking. Uh, at, uh, at, at certain stress points on the zipper. So um, I, I really enjoy that. I, I, I like knowing everything there is to know about the instrument and, and how they work. 
And, as, and of course, uh, uh, joining the band there in Knoxville, uh, I also performed in, in, the, in the circle, competed in the circle in the grade five band and competed solo. Uh, I find great value in c competition. It, uh, on the band side, it uh, accelerates your learning curve. You're, you're, you're forced to a higher level. You're kind of just drafted into the, the stream, as it were. You're picking up on it. And uh, also being part of the band, I got to see a lot of different uh, setups, uh, different equipment, different reads, and, and, and I dissect them all, all to see why did uh, one read sound one way in, a, in, a, in drones and, and sound different in different set of drones. So I, I studied that and, and came up with a way to, to uh, accentuate people's sound to perfect it. Uh, checking out different reads and the, their balance point on, on, on the tuning pins. Yeah, that, speaking of Knoxville, that's where you and I met. Um, and yeah, Kay Irwin was a great lady and a great inspiration for a lot of generations from Knoxville Pipes and Drums. So you spoke just now of air efficiency, um, calibration of the drone reads. That was probably the first time I actually saw an individual explain that to other members of the band in terminology that they could understand. I know you would you would measure it. You I, I forget what you had, but you were measuring the air efficiency of drones and telling everybody which was which and which one needed to be adjusted a little bit finer. So that was really interesting to see. And, and I think that was a, a weekend session we had and you had that out there helping everybody try to calibrate their drone reads. Yeah, that was that was uh, I, I came up by accident. I had access to a uh, another meter, so it's different ways I was checking it. But I came up with uh, it was a uh, was a sound meter and a decibel meter. And I was noticing I was walking by people, and I, I thought, wow, one of their one of their drones is out. Their tenor's not sounding. They're only playing one tenor, and they come to find out they're playing both tenors. Well. From my researching on cane reeds and uh, crozier reeds and a couple other reeds that were they were talking about not only air efficiency but sound quality and loudness or softness of the of the of the drone uh, reed, I realized that I had to look at those reeds. The reeds weren't in balance. They might have been in balance for for uh, as far as pitch, but their volume was out of balance. So uh, we worked on adjusting the tongues to get the proper air efficiency, as well as uh, volume, so that they were matched. So now you had an instrument that had three drones sounding that people could hear. And so uh, that was very interesting. So decibel meter really helped me out. I, I, I no longer have that instrument to my, uh, uh, in my arsenal, but so I just got one that goes on my phone. It's not as accurate as a commercial decibel meter, but it does show you a, a disparity between the drones. So even though it may not be accurately reading the actual decibel uh, measurement, it is showing whether it's 10% or 20% off. So that does help. And it's amazing once you address that issue, just all of a sudden it, it, your, 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 your pipe core went from five pipers sounding to, well, wait a minute, we also have another guy on the line that sounds like six because the drones have picked up their volume. It is amazing. It's something to, that people need to look at. They probably don't even realize it. Yeah, it comes back to knowing your bagpipe. 
and how to make things a little easier. Yeah, it's always helpful. Oh, yeah. So you alluded to you always like to know how things are made and how things work. And you have a lot of interesting stories as far as who you've collaborated with and talked with. Can you kind of name some that you've gone through over the years, collaborated with the people oh, here? Oh, oh, sure. You know, as soon as you start naming names, if you give credit to you, you're always going to forget someone. But, but you know, of course, Sandy Jones, uh, 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 as far as my instructors with K. Irwin and the like, that they were teaching me the mechanics of how to play the instrument, the, the note transitions and the embellishments and what have you. But as far as the, the underlying uh, instrument itself, uh, things, additional things uh, started out with Sandy Jones with the, the reeds. Uh, uh, he was working with the easy drones and adjusting the, the bridles and the air efficiency. And he worked with me there. And then uh, I worked with Ed Nye, he's a super individual, showing me different things with respect and that's where I picked up a lot of this uh, notion of uh, a volume. Uh, and we were looking at some crochet reads in, in that department because they actually talk about it there. And uh, a couple other manufacturers talk about volume and not just uh, uh, air efficiency. So uh, very interesting conversations with him. Uh, 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 John Kidd, uh, you know, the famous Kid Ice Pipes, which uh, I was in line to get a set uh, done. And, Unfortunately, I missed out, but uh, he helped me out a lot with the, the acoustics, the sounds, sounding, uh, as far as uh, drones, uh, with with respect to to uh, channel reads. Well, the drone reads too, Kane, because I was interested in Kane, and I played Kane uh, just for my personal enjoyment, because my pipes really do come alive with Kane, but obviously I do not uh, compete or play with them in public for many of the reasons that no one else does unless they have super confidence and play them all the time. But uh, uh, Brian Yates, uh, he helped me a lot uh, with that. Uh, it was very interesting because he's he's a purist. Uh, he, he likes uh, that. Uh, and uh, I learned from him to study the sound difference. Was there a difference between uh, cowhide uh, or with him sheepskin and synthetic bags? and there is, it's very subtle, uh, it's very subtle, but if you really, uh, it, it, you can feel it a lot of times quicker than you can hear it. It, it seems to be the first thing you notice, we feel the sound difference. And uh, this is why, uh, uh, you know, I, I met with uh, uh, other people that really talked up about sheepskin and uh, uh, Nick Hudson, I've talked to him about it, uh, Colin McClellan, Ian Donaldson, Donald McBride, Cameron Nixon, we messed around a little bit with him, and Jim Delahaye, and, and Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott uh, taught me a lot uh, with respect to uh, the, the sound, the, the different sound you hear with, with uh, whether you're playing a Dilrin or Polypenko Channer versus a, a Channer of the same geometry made by the same company that was African Blackwood. And I noticed. Uh, kind of a downside African Blackwood in the band setting, it's hard to get three or four chanters to sound the same. Wood is a living, breathing uh, animal, and uh, the, the tonal quality of the wood can shift from one uh, chanter to the other, even made by the same company, made with, even on a CNC lathe. Uh, you can hear the, uh, you pull the reed out from one chanter and put it back in the other, and you know, so wait, wait a minute, that, there's, there's something different. Why is it different? And, uh, and that's because uh, the grain runs different, the wood's different. So 
I think a lot of the testimonies that a lot of these people have given over the years with the synthetic channers in the band setting, uh, uh, they give them a lot of credit for the better sound that today's bands are producing over the old bands, even though they had great musicality and everything, but the sound wasn't the same as the sound you hear today. And that's because of stability and the matched set of instruments. But the, the, I learned all of that from these guys. I mean, just, just wearing them out, just talking to them, uh, uh, you know, from Jim Delahaye to Jimmy McIntosh, Nick Hudson, uh, even uh, Javier uh, or Xavier, which I cannot pronounce his last name. Uh, forgive me, Xavier, see this podcast. He, he, he and his brother make the Redwood Reeds. They also make bagpipes. I have a set made by him. He's a great guy, and we share a lot of it, collaborate back and forth. I collaborated with him on designing a B-flat uh, drone reed because I, for one, do not like read it, uh, road, uh, drone extenders. So we worked on a, a drone reed that uh, uh, for B-flat uh, setup. And so uh, all these guys are great guys. You, you call them up. I mean, uh, uh, just they're willing to talk to you uh, uh, on different subjects. Uh, back when Joe and Peggy still owned L&M Bagpipe out of Canada, and I was playing a cowhide bag with the elk hide bag, as they called it back then, uh, uh, made by them. And I was talking to them about the, and how they were made. And I, I played a, a regular one. And then I played one of theirs that had the rubber collars and it just, and experiencing the difference in the tone quality of the very same hide bag that was tied in straight, natural with cut holes and the same bag with rubber collars. And those seeing a little difference in the tone of the, of the drones and, and, and wondering why that was. So, uh, a lot of these other guys that experienced the same thing and really wanted to talk about it and, and, and discuss why they thought that was, uh, I found it very interesting. And so I'm, I'm and I, I have a, a segment that I'm working on that I'll be putting out on, on uh, synthetic bags that are made uh, where you can put them on without the cut, uh, rubber grommets or same back company, make them with the rubber collars and the pros and cons on both. Uh, so I'll be putting that out shortly after Christmas. Speaking of that, you were fortunate enough to make us another video, which illustrated a mechanism that you've created to <laughs> not only help local members in the U.S., but worldwide if they actually check out that video. Like, what inspired you to make that invention? Well, my Piper's Wench is what you're referring to. Uh, the My... Um, it wasn't a problem in the negative sense. It was a, a volume of bags I was being asked to tie in, to tie in uh, was really jumping off the charts. And I'd seen guys uh, in different settings from camp to other places, just really going nuts, trying to manage the, the line as they're tying it on, uh, uh, tying on a bag. The, the loose line was getting away from them. The dowel rods they were using was all over the floor. They're tying on the doorknobs and all this stuff. And I said, man, I can't be doing that. I got too many bags I got to tie in and I, I, I want to become more efficient. And also uh, not only efficiency of tying in, but efficiency of uh, utilization of material. Uh, you know, I didn't want to waste a lot of material if I didn't have to. And um, the Piper's wench came in really handy because I could do things by myself. I could lock the knots in really easily. I, I, I worked on uh, different knots, I tried the knots that initially was shown and tying in a high bag 
And then I opted for using a constrictor knot, which I found to be uh, more stable and uh, less uh, aggressive on the hide. Uh, I noticed a couple of times in, at uh, competitions, I've been asked to uh, to tie in uh, people's bags that the, the hide had slit, uh, create a slit right at the old tie-ins where people had tied it in old school and were allowing their line to spit around and cause an abrasion on the, on the leather. So uh, just sheer volume, I had to do something. And that, that Piper's wench uh, was uh, something I thought I'd better try and see how it worked. And it, it works great because I can feed the line as I need it, retract the line I don't need, it's stable on the floor. I can just step on the on the on its platform and hold it in place. I'll be elaborating that a little bit more. I'm doing another segment of time in the the bag I was talking about, the hybrid Kenmore bag. And at the tail end of that, so if someone wants to see the, uh, the how that is put together, I'll be describing that at the tail end of that rather than creating another video just on the Piper's wedge. I'll 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 footnote at what mark that is if it's worthy of a separate video we can always split it make a separate video but people have been calling me and asking me of that people know who i am from camp so even though they've not remarked on the comment section on the youtube they've been calling me and emailing me about that thing so i'm going to put together also a little pdf on how it's made and and uh, where to get the materials that i used anyway uh i shared that with the, i shared that with james Begg. And I've, I've been sending him a lot of my photographs and work that I've done on several of his bags. And uh, I was, I was uh, very pleased. He's invited me to shop. Uh, but when we went to the Worlds that one year, he moved from Glasgow Center. He's moved out to an industrial area of town. So we didn't get to see him that time. But he's he's offered me a job. Uh, if I was younger and had time to spend maybe a month in, in Glasgow, I might have taken him up on it, but uh, I was very tickled to death. I, that's one email I'm keeping. I might just frame it. It's, it's, it's really cool. Maybe he'll be expanding to North America. Who knows? Yeah, never know. Uh, with, never all this know. Climate, with all this climate change they're talking about, it may shift <laughs> another way. <laughs> that's true. So you alluded to helping people out on the day of games. I have personally seen the generosity and time you have taken uh, apart from your busy day to help other people in distress. Now, I know some stories, but I would like you to give some, um, I wouldn't say hilarious stories, but very uh, emergency needed and uh, dire straight stories of piping maintenance emergencies. Well, you know, the best way to avoid a, a disaster is to plan for it beforehand. Uh, one thing that I, I, I wholeheartedly believe is that every band should have someone that's capable of going the extra mile to fix equipment. We spend, uh, if you've added up all the expenditures of getting there, the preparation, the gear, the travel, the hotel, everything, we're spending thousands of dollars to get there. Then we don't have something to be able to fix emergencies. And, and uh, uh, a couple of cases involving uh, T-zips, uh, not to slam on the company, because their zippers aren't made for our gear. They're made for uh, dry and wetsuits. So they're not made for the pressure that we exert on them. So they tend to have uh, uh, sporadic, but a lot of them, and this is the, on the minor scale of problems, this is not like an earth shattering 
funny one that you're alluding to, which I'll get to, is uh, uh, little minor leaks at the end of the zipper, uh, where if you open the zipper, it, it, there's a section there called the zipper stop. So it stops the zipper from leaving the, the end of the, the line, so to speak. And when you're, you blow it up and you have no pressure on it, it stays pressurized. Then you put it under your arm and put pressure on it. I'll see you hear this little whistling sound or a little escape right at that spot. And uh, what I use there is uh, aqua seal. Uh, just rough up the, the the rubber, put the aqua seal on there. You never have a problem with it again. The, the, the problem's gone. Now the interesting one you're talking about, which after I shared the, the story with Chris Armstrong, he shared back with me uh, several stories that happened in short order of my telling him of the story. And uh, a manufacturer will remain anonymous because this I've seen several brands and makes, but this particular uh, bag was two weeks old as a hybrid bag, a hide uh, bag with, uh, it was actual uh, sheepskin uh, with uh, rubber collars and zippers. Zipper. Well, the collar uh, blew out right at the base where it's connected to the bag itself on the, on the, uh, the day before game day. And uh, so I was called in to, to see if I could fix it. And, and, and there, was an, there was a sense of urgency to repair this bag. For, to begin with, the piper was needed to complete the circle. And the second thing was he was a, a left-handed player. So you couldn't really plug and play someone else's uh, bag into his setup. So he had to, it had to be salvaged. So what I did is I just uh, roughed up the, the tear and used super glue, Gorilla Glue. And by the way, not all super glue is the same. So uh, don't just think the cheap super glue is going to work. There's different uh, varieties of and what have you. So I used Gorilla Super Glue, uh, cleaned it up, uh, repaired the, the, created, closed up the, 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 the tear, and then stabilized the drone with gobs of Gorilla Tape. And that bag held up for a month while the Piper got a, a replacement bag. And, uh, and Sandy Jones in the uh, comments of the, the day on, uh, for that uh, uh, competition set, he, he noted in there that he, he thought someone was playing the Franken bag or, or duct tape uh, bag. Because <laughs> he was aware of the repair and it made that comment. I thought that was hilarious. And I still have photographs of, of, of the, the repaired bag in my collection of pictures. I wish I had some uh, layout of how I repaired it. But I've repaired sheepskin bags with actual tears in them, where I, I just sew it up. Like you, you cut your skin, it's, it's, it's skin. I just, you know, uh, roughed up the, the some denatured alcohol, clean out the, the wound as it were, sew it up like you'd sew up a, a, a cut in your arm and took super glue across the stitching and I, I've repaired a couple, uh, well, at least one bag that I can think of off the top of my head that lasted two years that way. So people just not, not don't need to be afraid to, to try to fix something. Uh, Gore-Tex bags are easier to repair than leather because they don't need as much uh, finesse. But uh, you can fix stuff uh, on the day. But uh, people try to push their bags beyond the limits of four and five and six years and, and a lot of wear and tear. Uh, just need to think about just buying a new bag. Uh, uh, too much is at stake, too much time and effort spent to get to where you are, to, 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 to just try to push a bag for one more year. That's a good point. 
I mean, I've, I've noticed over time that a lot of people forget maintenance in a priority. And instead of checking out everything when they actually touch their pipes, it's, you know, an afterthought. It's like, oh, when the emergency comes, then I'll think of the maintenance. Well, you know, uh, you know, the point that just just brought up that, that some people don't uh, bring up, but, uh, you know, uh, everyone tells you this, uh, Bannatyne, Canmore, uh, the, the, anyone who makes a synthetic bag to tell you about water traps. And one of the problems that exists with the synthetic bag is they use a seam tape on the inside that if you open it up, you see the seam tape in there. The moisture starts to build up in there. And it's, if you're not clean, airing out your bag and cleaning it, that moisture brings on organisms. Things are going to grow in your bag. And it's going to, and what it loves is glue. I don't know what it is about microorganisms, but it's like a medium for them to grow. And I've, I've seen a few bags that were just outside the warning date where the bag was uh, leaking in the, that area. And, and all else being good. And, you know, a, a young piper with no money uh, uh, to buy another bag. And I've just opened it up, ripped off the seam tape, and then seam sealed the, the whole area where the tape had, had corroded due to people not airing out their bag and not letting moisture sit in there or playing that type of bag without a moisture control system as recommended by manufacturer. And, but those that do air it out, have a moisture trap, find themselves playing their bag four and five years. It's just amazing. It just, it just carried maintenance and following the instructions, directions for the particular piece of equipment that you own. That's true. Good point. Especially with the cost in today's society um, for piping and drumming equipment. I think a little bit of maintenance goes a long way. Well, yes, it, it means everything. I mean, it's just, I, I, I would hate to think that I, I, I was somewhere and my equipment broke down. And I didn't have a resource to another piece of equipment, you know, uh, here before the pandemic, as it were, I was able to get stuff shipped to me from uh, the UK, believe it or not, in five or six days, just regular uh, mail, not paying expedited shipment. And now you're looking two, three, four weeks. So if you have something that that you just can't get from Henderson Imports or or British Shop or uh, uh, Piper's Hut or somewhere else local, then you have to go out of town. Uh, uh, you're, you're, I mean, out of country, you're, you're at the mercy of uh, a lot of things. Uh, weather, traffic patterns with the airports, uh, and then a lot of things come in through the, uh, through the Northeast. And so, so waiting until uh, the end of the season, your last games, to try to, to just push that equipment one more month, just uh, I'll get it all in the, in the down season. I'll order all this stuff and replace it in the down season. Well, you might, you might be that guy looking at the FedEx trucks sitting on his side on a, on a slab of ice coming from from new jersey and your and your your products in that truck so don't wait till the end of the year the, the season when you when things need to be replaced you got to replace it right then good points good points now you mentioned that you retired in 2019 um you and savannah then moved from knoxville tennessee over towards nashville how's that going we love it uh uh I've joined the Nashville Pipes and Drums and, and uh, feel, they've made me feel right at home. And uh, a lot is a credit to the fact that Donald Pipers, uh, I got to know at the uh, 
Sandy's camp at the North American Academy of Pipes and Drums. Uh, great bunch of people uh, welcomed me straight away and uh, uh, weren't hesitant. To, I mean, you know, uh, it, it just it's just like I belong there from the first moment I walk through the door. They're just great folks. And uh, I'm very, very lucky that, uh, that 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 happened for me. I mean, it may not have been the same thing if I moved cross country, although I've, I've played with Los Gatos Pipe Band. I've, I mean, I've gone to their their training sessions there uh, during the week because uh, I met uh, one of their pipers at the Pipe Fest in Edinburgh uh, in 2005 and they invited me to come uh, play with them. And so I do know some people on the West Coast and and uh, and I've, uh, take, uh, took some lessons from Michael McClanathan in uh, Arizona, the Desert Piper. So uh, I do know some folks around the country, but and that's that's the credit to our community. It's so small. I mean, you can't go anywhere and talk to one person that doesn't know people you know. I mean, just across the planet, this is this is the greatest thing I've ever experienced. It's just it's just beyond. Uh, uh, just it's very emotional. Just uh, running into people that know people that know people that know you. It's just it's great. It is definitely a, a small community, but it's very uh, vast and wide throughout the world. So oh, yeah. you mentioned something about you played the bagpipes in high school. No, 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 I did not. No, I, 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 I uh, was aware of the uh, the the Bel Air Highlanders that were the Jason High School that that I got to to be real fond of the music. That's where I fell in love with the music. It just all all things bagpipe. I just fell in love with the music, and, and this, these youngsters in, the, in that youth band just did it for me. So saying that from back in that time period where do you see that it's come from from the piping and drumming perspective from back then from maintenance and piping to where it is today well a lot of communities that one in particular the feeder schools of that high school a couple of years ago uh put the practice channel to play uh, over the recorder so there, here's a. They have so many a large alumni. They have three uh, com competition bands in the community there in El Paso, and one uh, uh, street band in the community. Plus the the pipers, you just can't go very far without finding bagpipers, and uh, they're in El Paso, in Texas. So, um, but I've, I met guys from the Northeast when I went to the FBI Academy, uh, uh, and uh, piped with. Uh, uh, the folks in uh, Montgomery County up at the uh, Law Enforcement Memorial. And where I see piping going is that we keep going closer and closer to synthetics. Uh, people are seeing the stability of synthetics. Uh, reeds, I've noticed, because uh, I do have one set, I call it my combat set. I played in foul weather. I loaned it to a friend of mine that got stationed in Iraq for a year. So I call it my combat set. It's made out of Dilrin. Was made by a, a, a piper up in Washington State and Chesney, and uh, I noticed that different reeds in there. There's some reeds, and I think he heard that set of pipes being played by Wyatt one year at the at the Stone Mountain, and people were just, "Oh man, what is that? Who, yep. What pipes are those?" And, and they, when they heard plastic, it's just because they're they've got a set of reeds in there that are matched for it. It's, it's after 1940 Henderson bore, and um, so people's attitudes towards synthetics is lightening up a little bit. I mean, I have two Blackwood sets, a silver set uh, Xavier made for me 
and the, my Gibson set, they're a Blackwood, and I love their tone, I love their playability, but uh, the synthetics, I think, are, are coming more and more of age. I think, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Walsh just advertise they're no longer going to bank the wooden pipes have gone 100% uh, Dillrin as of two years ago, I believe, and, uh, or is it Dunbar? One, some, one of those guys, I'd have to refresh my, my memories to which one it was, I think it might be Walsh. But uh, so before where youth bands were the bands that had the synthetics, uh, just because of the way they care for the equipment, as we a lot of us adults have noticed, but uh, their tone, they're, they're matching their tone. You know, people go and say, oh, we all have to have the same reads in the band. But then you notice that all these people have different make uh, instruments. Then they, even if they have Blackwood instruments made by the same guy, same company, the age of the wood is going to affect the toning of the wood. You have a wood that's been aged for three or four years because they buy these billets and they store them and they wait till they season down and they check them for humidity and tonability. And the tone is different. You know, the, the musical guys that make high grade instruments, the same amount of effort is made to, to, uh, is put in to make a, a 10,000 violin over a $200 violin. What's the difference is the wood. And it's the, the age of the wood, the tonability of the wood. And so with that said, people that really are striving to lock that sound in the real purists, I'm talking about like, I, I hate to say grade one pipers, but they're just some people way out there that really have this fantastic set of ears. They just hear it. They hear that, oh, we can do better. We can do better. And it's, all of a sudden they pick up these, where everyone has the same match set and it's, oh, it's, plastic what do you mean it's plastic synthetic and it says oh i'm, I'm probably gonna get struck by lightning the people that just want blackwood and you know which is a rosewood <laughs> african blackwood is a rosewood and that just goes to show you well people think of cheap tourist pipes is oh that don't buy that rosewood stuff well we're all playing rosewood if we're not playing cocos wood or some other uh uh wood we're playing african blackwood which is of the rosewood family and the tone is different they're all different and it's and it's not all oh, that i've got a mcdougal bore or you've got a henderson bore or, or, or a hardy bore or whoever it doesn't matter it's it's uh, if you were all were matched it's going to still sound a little different so synthetics i think is gonna is you know the car how do you pronounce that carbony the carbon people are uh really uh shooting for their quality of their drones and what I think they're going to start doing is to, to reach that extra tone in the synthetics as they're starting, maybe changing the, the bore design. Instead of trying to match bore design uh, from bores that sounded great when they're after Blackwood, as they move to synthetics, they're going to have to adjust that. And they're able to meter it and test it and sound it out and get it just where it needs to be. And I, and I think that may be the future of bands playing synthetic pipes and then You'll only see the African Blackwood in solo uh, play. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, we know a lot of uh, backpack makers are looking at different materials now, especially with the cost and recent COVID and ivory restrictions are all looking at different materials. So definitely something that's been getting more steam lately. Yeah, there's a, there's a backpack maker right there in uh, North Carolina, this uh, gentleman that's making backpacks now and he's lining them. So he's making them out of synthetics and lining the, the, uh, them with a, a, a material, not unlike the easy drone uh, 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 type of uh, material 
to maintain a resonance that's uh, that's uh, appreciated and liked by pipers. So uh, more of that's going to come down the pipe. More and more people are going to start doing that and checking it out. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how far it goes. But you know, uh, uh, Dilren is harder to turn. It's harder to manufacture a Dilren set of pipes than African blackwood. The reason for the price difference essentially is that you have more waste in blackwood. They have to go through more discards. This is not toned quality. We're going to sell it to get somebody to make pin blanks for writing instruments. So we're, we're paying, uh, us bagpipers are paying for the, the wood that's being thrown out the back door because uh, the actual uh, machining of the material of the dillard is, is more labor intensive than uh, of wood. Correct. I learned that uh, this past year, actually, uh, visiting the workshop. Uh, it's definitely a more time intensive uh, when it comes to the Dillron versus the Blackwood. Oh, yeah. So that's true. Well, hey, Vince, uh, I want to thank you for your time um, to discuss everything that we've been able to go over today um, on podcast number three for the Southern Branch. Um, I wish nothing but the best for you in Savannah. And hopefully I can head over there to Nashville one of these days to catch up with you guys. But hopefully we'll be able to link up in another Highland Games here in the near future. So, oh, most definitely. I look forward to seeing you again as well. And next time I'll have a cowbell. There we go. There we go. Well, hey, I want to say thank you on behalf of the board for the videos that you're putting out for the branch members and the rest of the world to help um, push forward uh, maintenance and piping and drumming in our community. Really appreciate that. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks, Vince. You guys have a wonderful Christmas and good New Year. Okay, bud. Thank you. Thank you, you and your family.